So your mic is actually quite noisy. There it is. Is it really? That's much better that you hold it away from your shirt. That's what. Okay. So, John, good to meet you. Um, I'm glad to hear that you have been doing some Goenka retreats. Uh, uh, and it's interesting. Uh, one of the things that happened with students that have Goenka retreats is that they have a long time between them. But it looks like that you've been able to pack three retreats in five years, which is uh, uh, going in the right direction for sure. And so you and I have a base to talk about because you're getting ready to go back into another Goenka retreat, so I understand. Yes. Um, so, uh, as we had just mentioned, you and I had been talking about that Goenka has a technique and that Vila Maramsi has a technique and Yanataro and others have a technique and that, um, but I don't have a technique. It doesn't belong to me that I, I'm passing down something that uh, that I learned. Uh, but it's actually more complete. What, basically, what you can say is, is that um, the basic question is the cause and effect in this regard that metta is the effect of good practice. It is not the cause or the good practice. It's the result of good practice. And so they've got to call for the horse in a way. And also uh, issues of noting practice, that noting and then not doing anything about it is going to just leave you noting whatever is there and you're going to get very good at noting and you're going to be picking through your own mental garbage forever until you wind up in some dark night of the soul or something. <laughs> and so there's something missing in that practice. And then there's do nothing practices like um, uh, choiceless awareness. Where the reality is, is that uh, all along the way, in all of these cases that we've mentioned and a few more, the point about making choice is the issue. That in fact, if we're not making changes and we're not making choices, then we're almost stuck or bound by destiny or whatever to be reborn as the same old thing again and again and again until when are we going to change? When are we going to wake up? Time is now. And so that's basically a lot of what's wrong with the practice in the sense of sati. They don't put the emphasis upon that any moment, any present moment that you have, now is the time to wake up. And so it should be practiced. One of the ways that I say about sati is, is that um, <clears throat> we can develop a set of skills. But often when we need those skills the most, we don't apply those skills because we forgot about them. We're too fearful or whatever. And so what's good a skill if you don't remember to use it at the right time? 
And so this is the value of sati, is to remember when you need to remember to wake up. And basically what that means is to come out of that sixth sense, the mind, which has to do with the past and the future and someplace else, and come into the other five senses, which are the here now, to be present. And this is what is uh, uh, the issue about sati. And the point about then what right noble view is to look at what's going on with wisdom, to look and see what's happening. And then the next item on the Eightfold Noble Path is the right effort to change, to do something new. And that means to remove unwholesome thoughts and to put wholesome thoughts in the mind. And there's many suttas that talk about that. Wow, there's just many. One of them is two kinds of thoughts. It's the number 19 in the time. And there it talks about two kinds of thoughts. And it's got a beautiful story that I'll tell you about something. And then in 117, it has it specifically that one's right effort is to remove unwholesome thoughts and replace them with wholesome thoughts. And then in the Anapanasati Sutta, right next to it, it talks about the skill of gladdening one's mind, to investigate the mind and then to um, gladden the mind. Now, this particular point, this right effort, is something that seems to be have gotten soft or gone missing in all of the various methods. Uh, but it's right there and clear in the text that if we practice correctly, that means that we're waking up and checking what's going on and then climbing the ladder of step two, which means then that any thought that you're having right now could be improved. Think of it like that. Go around checking, is this thought right now good enough? Is it wholesome? Or can I make a change to it? Start climbing that noble noodle ladder. And this is the way that we begin to change our thoughts, gladden the mind, find things that are more wholesome than what we're thinking about. And generally, if we're thinking about something way over yonder, some big wide world or anything like that, a society or a country or whatever like that, that's far too way. It's not real. If I say the word Ukraine, you'll get an image that's different than the one that I have. And so when we use the word Ukraine and think about Ukraine, that's just merely a mental concept. And we're missing out on what's happening right in front of us. And so this is what Sati is, and also the waking up to look at what we're doing, to look at what we've been thinking, and recognizing we can change what we're thinking, including changing it into watching what's going on right around us. So that's the biggest thing, I guess, right? I mean, among many other things in Wankas, instead of just looking at it, you know, um, instead of just looking at it and, you know, looking at the trash, you're not doing anything about it. So I guess what other things it's missing um, 
because again, I mean, you made it clear that you don't have a technique and you don't want to, or essentially, um, and there's a reason for that. I'm sure. I don't want to get blamed for it. Nobody yeah, exactly. Goes wrong. <laughs> which is which is fine. Um, so I guess I mean you've done the done Guanca for a long time. So I mean, what is miss? What is not satisfying um, for you? Um, and um, would one be going down the wrong way? Obviously, if they didn't know the eightfold path um, and what we talked about before, um, as you mentioned, it's missing the sati. And a lot of the times, Gwenka doesn't talk about taking long, deep breaths. Um, you know, and the most important thing is to be mindful. And and there's this big thing in the West that you brought this up with strong determination and meaning. Right effort is the way that I would describe it. I've been waiting for you to list them all and you didn't. Okay. And, and okay, so that's the point that I would say that all of the systems are generally missing is the point about the right effort to make a change right now and improve the situation, to come back to the reality instead of lost in space or lost in time. So that's the biggest thing that was missing, you think? The biggest mm -hmm. thing, the right effort. To, to literally take control of your own mind. Start looking at what you're doing. And in that process, to literally take control of the breath. This is basically a control issue <clears throat> in, a, in a very broad sense of the term. Because primarily most people in our society was raised as starting as a child. Uh, we were, I mean, we just start off as a as a victim. We start off as a tender infant that needs to be taken care of. And somehow or another, we really don't get out of that. <laughs> and we remain a victim. And the, and the practice of Anapanasati is actually got more built into it than just the, uh, the Eightfold Noble Path. But the Eightfold Noble Path kind of starts it off. You could say that the entire beginning stone or the whole uh, top of the pyramid is the teaching of Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. That's the only thing that the Buddha teaches and everything fits in within that package. And then the next layer down is the Four Noble Truths. And then down on one uh, the leg of the Eightfold Noble Path, and then another one is the Second Noble Truth, which goes into Paticca Samuppada. And then the Third Noble Truth is what is also built into Anapanasati, which is the practice of the Eightfold Noble Path. So all of this stuff kind of sits in layers and fits together. Um, <clears throat> and so with right effort of changing the thoughts from an unwholesome thought to a wholesome thought, we also, with Anapanasati, control the breathing by beginning to pay attention mindfully. In fact, the sutta actually says, uh, with sati, he breathes in long, or in the English, we would say, mindfully, he breathes in long, and mindfully, he breathes out long, right? And then that 
phrase is taken to each one of the other stages, including, um, and when I say stage or step, I'm not talking about in chronological order of practice, I'm talking about an order of appearance, sort of like a play. These are the way that things appear. And the body is first, and then the feelings, the Vedana, and then the Chitta. So up at point nine, which is the beginning of the Chitta, it's talking about examining the mind. Pay attention to what the mind is doing. Look at the states of mind. Is the mind tired? Is it sharp? Is it focused? Is it dull? Is it uh, watching what's going on? Is it not paying attention? Is it in la-la land? <laughs> okay. Or is it in an own, its own hell that is just created? These are the kinds of states of mind that we have, and we need to look at what kind of state of mind that we've got. And then the next is to gladden that, to pick that up, to make a change. And so this is one's right effort. This is how uh, the Eightfold Noble Path fits into the uh, Anapanasati practice that's laid out in the Anapanasati Sutra. So mindfully he breathes in long, examining the mind. And mindfully he breathes out long, examining a mind. This is a skill. Thus, one trains oneself become to be able to do that and then gladdening the mind mindfully he breathes in a long gladdening the mind and mindfully he breathes out long gladdening the mind thus one trains oneself that's basically quoting right the sutta so why were you dissatisfied then dissatisfied then what with with uh, with the Gwanka. Well, Gwanka doesn't teach what I'm teaching you now. That's not part of what Gwanka says. He says, watch the breath. He does not say mindfully take control of it and then use that control to change, to examine and to gladden. So he's missing both the control and the gladdening part. Mm. Sorry, I didn't know it strong enough <laughs> so that you caught it. <laughs> no, I, I, I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, you know, it's, you know, you, since you grow up in the grew up in the West, I would take it, you know, it seems that's one method where uh, maybe more popular than the others. Um, so with obviously Guenka no longer here, do you see that possibly dying out or is there could who could else replace that or is it just just meant to be, um, you know, because as you mentioned, there is things missing. Well. Um, the funny thing about the noble Dhamma is, is that um, a few can see it. It becomes self-evident. It's not so cryptic and hidden when it's presented correctly. And for that reason, 
the noble Dhamma will get out. In fact, I've already seen that. I, I, I've been quite impressed with the changes that Western Buddhism has gone through in the past 20 years, or not 20 years, the past few years, let us say the past five, five years. In the past five years, this whole teaching of uh, joy and gladdening the mind and developing sukha, which is actually part of the Anapanasati practice. And that development then is one's right effort. One has to take the effort to develop skills. And the skills that one needs to develop are right there in the Anapanasati Sutta. And when you develop these skills, it uh, each one in its own way brings the mind into the first jhana which is the gathering of the factors. So when you have the skill of removing the hindrances from the mind, throwing the unwholesome thoughts out, click number one, and continuing to do that over and over and over again, and then developing sukha, mindfully he breathes in, developing sukha, mindfully he breathes out, developing sukha. And I'll talk about what that means in a moment mindfully breathing in, developing pity, and mindfully breathes out, developing pity. Doing these things, he's applying the mind to the wholesome and sustaining the mind to the wholesome, while back at step four in the body, we were examining and watching the body all of this while, stage three, which is the scanning method of Galanka gone while, and then step four, the real point, is the relaxation of the body. Now, in some of the other suttas, relaxation is included with the, the five, making it six factors. And in some suttas, it only has five factors. But you can see where that extra added and the body's relaxed would be valuable because that fits in with sukha. Because sukha actually defined is in the Pali dictionaries is um, comfort that is preceded by a feeling of safety and security. Safe and secure, we sit and feel comfortable. And as we sit and feel comfortable, we begin to feel satisfied partly because we're talking ourselves into it with the gladdening of the mind and having wholesome thoughts about sitting here and saying, my, how nice it is. I got no place to go and nothing to do. And the bell is going to be yet an hour away. And I don't have to worry about that at all because I'm having fun here. Just being satisfied with doing nothing. And so this is the development of the sukha, and pretty soon you begin to feel satisfied. Wow, it really is great to have nothing to do and no place to go. This is what the whole idea of retreat is all about, is somehow or another people get wrapped up in work. Have you ever heard that from Goenka? Work. And you mentioned something, too, that the lazy, I don't know, please, if I'm not saying this right, the Western um, mind, you could say, essentially, um, thinks or is lazy or how, how would I want to put this? Um, the, a lazy way would be Western mind to work, whereas um, I guess you could say in some Eastern countries like currently um, 
um, here in Nepal. Um, they're just, it seems a little more relaxed um, where, you know, the West is a total different lifestyle in the sense of just constantly work where there's no, you know, is that something that you mentioned? Yes, this is the whole point about the question of what is right effort. Because most of the time, people are putting in either not enough or too much effort. Basically, we're putting in too much effort for too long, get tired, and then we stop putting any effort into it at all. We quit because we're exhausted. Rather than putting in the right effort, and if the right effort is the right effort, it will continually perk up the mind, to gladden the mind, to bring the mind out of the hindrances into the noble light of day to see what's going on. And so um, with that and tying it together with the breath, now we're beginning to do two control things that we've never done before. One is, is that we're learning to control the mind and its contents and its uh, state. And the other one is, is we're beginning to control the body in the sense of, of making the body alive and awake, just like Gawanka practices. To become in touch with the body, to see what the body is. And to um, notice where the tensions are and relax them <clears throat> so that you can, in fact, become relaxed where a lot of students wind up with back pain and butt pain and knee pain and all kinds of stuff. And that is truly and clearly not relaxed and not comfortable and therefore not conducive to bring the unwholesome thoughts about such pains and, and misery and I want out of here and wanting things. And they're not satisfied. And so we have to practice in a way that our body remains comfortable and relaxed. That's what this practice is. So all of these ideas of work and all of that kind of stuff has to do, yes, that's correct, if he's referring to right effort. I, I'm sure that he was, but I didn't understand it that way. I understood it the Western way instead, mm. which is actually the word struggle or strive instead of persist. Correct. <laughs> okay, great, you got it. Now, now we're cooking. That's the point. As we keep going, it's repetitive. It's over and over, mindful in this moment, mindful in this moment, mindful in this breath, mindful to throw that thought out, mindful to throw it out again, mindful to when it comes back a third time, we don't have a fourth thought of, oh no, here it's back again. We just throw that thought out and come back to, oh wow, it says no nice, I don't have any problems at all. Cause any problem that comes to mind, I throw it out and come back to the present moment. Because right now you don't have any problems. The room you're in is very safe. So why do we keep having thoughts of things that are fearful? All the dangers, all the problems, all the possibilities it could be. Instead of recognizing that right now we don't have to deal with any of that stuff. And there you're going into retreat with literally nothing to do and no place to go. <laughs> <laughs> and so take a break. 
this right noble effort rather than the struggle of trying to strive and get something. So why do, I mean, I hate to put people in categories, but <laughs> why would some people find, you know, the technique of Vipassana so hard while others enjoy it? Um, I, you know, I, you know, I, I don't know the, if that would... Have you ever heard of, um, it's actually referred to as the 16 stages of insight that is often waved around by people who are into Mahasi. And it's, it comes out of uh, the Sudhi Maga and has roots in the uh, uh, You know, you know that 16 stages? I heard you and Daniel Ingram talk a little bit about it, but you could fill me in, please. All right. The reason that I'm mentioning it is um, that there comes a point after that sequence of events that is referred to in the U.S. and other Western culture of a dark night of the soul, because there's no there's no soul at all, because actually it's a redoubling of the effort, which means now the click is that the student decides he's going to have to practice correctly from now on, because what he's been doing has been wrong. This is the great awakening. The question is, why can't we teach that directly that you've got to make some changes here? You can't practice the way that you've been practicing. You're going to have to make a change. And what is that change? Guess what? That's step 11. And step 12 is the April Noble Path again, the Four Noble Truths. And so that's where I want to start the students is at step 12 of this thing, rather than, you know, whatever dark nights have already had, that's sufficient, we've had that enough. Let's stop doing that now and start practicing correctly because the actual teachings of the Buddha, as you probably heard, is referred to as good in the beginning, good in the middle, and good in the end. Have you heard that? Mm. Then where? Is the dark night of the soul in that? And what are you actually referring to, dark night of the soul? I'm referring to steps six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and eleven of the sixteen stages of insight brought to you through the West by Mahasi's students. Step six fear, misery. Disgust, despair, anguish, and a strong desire to get out of that. Followed by the point that I made, which was then a redetubbing of effort to get it right this time. But some people have to hit rock bottom before they uh, turn around. That's in fact quite well known in AA. Court ordered AAs don't generally work. But when somebody hits the point to where they know that they're hurting themselves with what they've been doing, they're willing to make a change. Would you say you hit rock bottom before you had to make a change? No, that's the whole point was no, I, well, it depends, it depends upon what got, I mean, things get rocky, sure. Right. <laughs> but it wasn't anywhere near any 
thing that I would consider rock bottom. No, I've been able to cruise at quite an altitude my whole life. But before I would soar, and now I can soar. <laughs> So, no, that, but that's what happens is people generally have to come to a point that they do see that what they're doing isn't working and they've got to make a change. And that's what wound me up in Asia. That's what wound me up in psychology. Yeah, so how did you really get into meditation and kind of leave America and then go into Asia and India? In, and in, in Ann Arbor, Michigan, there was an ashram that was visited frequently by Muktananda, a swami from Kineshpuri, India. And so I followed him over back to India. And uh, at, at that time, uh, I was uh, professoring at uh, a university and had plenty of time off. So I would spend four months a year in India for, for several years and then wound up staying. And so what made that switch that I'm done teaching? I mean, it's time to you know do something else i mean that's not everyone's gonna go ahead and leave their comfortable you know job that's paying and uh go and do what you did that's the point is it really that comfortable or is it the fear or the terror that prevents them so when does the terror and the pain get balanced to the point that somebody says i've got to make a change here do they have to hit hard bottom or they have to be just mildly dissatisfied and pretty smart about it and go do something about it. <laughs> it's a good point. It's a frame of mind of looking at it. Pardon? I said it's all in the mind of how you look at it. I mean, yeah, I get it. Um, so I guess when you went, you did two years with Cuenca and you traveled around. You said you many <laughs> met many charlatans, as you say, um, that just weren't. Um, that just weren't weren't, they say weren't, they con were. weren't convincing enough. Sure, fair enough. And then you went to Asanguenka. So, and then you went to Vika uh, Buddha Dasan. Something about him kind of set off for you. Um, you said something about his retreat was harder than others, um, and you spent no, some time. No, the hardest retreat I ever did was with Upandita, mm -hmm. who was a student of Mahasi. That was the hardest one. No, why so? Pardon? Why was that so hard? We number one, I would say offhand, we didn't connect. But number two, any teaching that he did had to go from Burmese into Chinese, and in the public talks every talk went for two or more hours because he would speak in burmese and it would be translated into chinese but in the private sessions nobody had any common language hmm. but we all pretended <laughs> 
but I had already been to White Sawn Milk by then. And so the that's that's actually what did it for me. But I turned my bicycle around and I hopped back out of Malaysia right back to White Sawn Milk. Didn't leave for a while. What did you get out of, of that? Um, and how long were you there for? In Malaysia at the uh, Penang retreat. The no, Watson Mok or whatever you said. What? Yeah, Watson Mok. That's that's the home of Bhikkhu Dasa. Okay. So he was your overall, I guess, main. I mean, you had many teachers, but he was your main. You could say teacher. Uh, that you felt the most closest to, or no? I would I would say that it was a twin situation between he and Achan Po. Achan Po was the abbot of Watsuan Mo, and that uh, while Bhikkhu Buddhadasa was, let us say, devoted to the Thai culture, the Thai people, and getting. Um, the actual Dhamma out to the public, as well as gaining many, many noble friends along the way from many different quarters, including all of the top watts. Uh, but Achan Po was the one who was actually more interested in the Puran, the Westerners. So that was mostly my relationship uh uh basically bhikkhu buddha dasa was by appointment only and achan po kept the appointment calendar <laughs> so when we talk about i guess a concentrated mind versus unified mind and you know the beginning of this topic was starting off with Vipassana and I just I guess one downfall of me and my ignorance is just not um, um, you could say a hundred percent trusting that technique because so many people that have long experiences um, time with that technique um, were not satisfied um, so I guess, could you talk a little bit about your concentrated mind versus unified mind? And um, yeah, I guess we can start there. The unification of mind that's mentioned in the Eightfold Noble Path that is often and in English uh, referred to as right noble concentration. As far as I know about the word concentration, it misses the point, especially since if the guys who had done the translation had bothered to read more carefully, words like unification is associated with that. In fact, in Sutta number 117 in the Great Forty, the Buddha talks about, oh monks, listen, and I will give you um, right, noble unification of mind with its supports and requisites. 
And that word unification was then translated into samanti because actually what the word samanti means is gathering things together or like the gable point at the top of a house or an arch has an arch stone or that a teepee has all the tent poles tied together at one point. That's a samadhi point. That's also what we mean by the samadhi of, of meditation called jhana. It basically means not a concentrated mind, but it means gathering together the factors of first jhana. And when the factors of first jhana are gathered together, the mind is unified because it's applying intensely, not intensely, but in intentionally and sustaining it intentionally. And what are we sustaining? Wholesome thoughts. One wholesome thought after another wholesome thought. One dhamma thought after another. Dhamma is actually a good uh, wholesome uh, topic to talk about. If you and I start talking about politics, one or the other of us are going to start talking about some unwholesome stuff. <laughs> so, keeping the mind wholesome, intentionally so. This is what we mean by the first jhana. And when we add the other features like safe, sound, comfortable, secure, and satisfied, now we have the extra ingredient of sukha. And sukha, safe, secure, comfortable, and satisfied, is exactly opposite of the word dukkha. It's exactly opposite in Pali. It's exactly opposite in Thai language, part of the Thai language. It's also, um, it's more of a surprise in Thai than it is in Gujarati because Gujarati is a language, and I do know that I've got a student whose parents uh, speak Gujarati in the house, and they're using Duke and Suki, actually Duki and Suki, on a regular basis as opposites. So knowing that, we can say, wait a minute, if um, we can put all of this kind of stuff together from Sutta number 36, where the Buddha says is that indeed the first jhana is the path to enlightenment. Why was I afraid of the pleasures of first jhana? Because they're not sensual. That, that that's the way. Okay. Why is that? It's because when we are in fact the noble uh, quest that the Buddha was on is the removal of dukkha, and here he's reflecting upon that first jhana's got that sukha. Let's get into a state of sukha. And when we get into that state, and it's done with the Eightfold Noble Path point of right noble waking up, right noble paying attention to what's going on, and right noble changing effort to make a change, to make our thoughts wholesome. And we're constantly doing that over and over and over again. And then that feeling of safety and security, especially if our wholesome thoughts are, everything is okay. There's no problem. There are no gorillas. There are no boogeyman. There's no work to do and no place to go and nothing to do. And so we begin to feel safe and secure and comfortable and satisfied and everything is okay. But if we want something like enlightenment, if we want the bell to ring, now we're in a state of dukkha because we want something we don't have. 
And so we have to remain free of those hindering thoughts of wanting something that we don't have, something of the past, something of the future, something that's not right here, right now, or something annoying. These are the hindrances. Another one would be doubt. What the heck am I doing here? And I could be out on my bicycle. You know, those are the kind of thoughts that we have that prevent us from actually enjoying what we're doing right here, right now. Mm. Okay, so let's say that now we get this thing on a roll and it becomes a snowball and then an avalanche. And where the avalanche comes in is now the fourth item on the Eightfold Noble Path, and that is Sama Sankapa. Sama Sankapa is referred to, um, the wrong translation is, is thought. But you've also seen it in um, uh, translated as right noble intention. Okay, there's another way of looking at it so that we begin to understand what is the Sama Sankapa, right noble attitude, right noble leaning. When I say attitude, we can either have this attitude of straight up, or we can have this attitude. In which direction am I going to fall? If I'm leaning in that direction, I'm going to fall in that direction. If I'm not leaning, I'm not going to fall. Okay, so which way does the mind lean? If it is leaning in the direction of, oh, no, something could go wrong, then guess what? Something will go wrong. And so those are the, the way that we begin to see that the, the attitude that we have and what the attitude that we're now actually intentionally developing as we're breathing in, we develop pity. What that means is that we're changing our attitude from the attitude of a loser into the attitude of a winner. I can do this. I can clean out the mind. Look at it, one wholesome thought after another, yippee kayo kaye, and now that elation is added to it in the sense of being a champion. The kind of feeling that the crowd uh, buys very expensive tickets to a big expensive football game. Why? Is because when the guy runs down the field and makes a touchdown, what is the first thing he do? He cheers in the air, yay! Why does he do that celebration? Guess what? Everybody in the stands on his side, they do the same thing. That's why people go to the game is for that thrill of success. And so here we're beginning to see I'm getting successful in my meditation. That's the Sama Sankapa. I can do it. We've got success. This stuff works. Hmm. And it works at a really deep level because not only does it work, Whoever I was is no longer that. Something new is happening. A lion is born. Change of lineage. The winner. The strong one. Real strength based in wisdom comes up. This is that pity. And a lot of people don't quite understand it. They think it's magical or mystical. or awful. You put that very well. Um, you put, I got that. You nailed the head on the hamper. Nail, I should say. Um, wow. <laughs> so, I, I mean, practicing everything you said in these techniques, is it possible to purify the mind where you literally, you don't have any desire or lust for anything? Oh, you're in a time frame. That's the clock you're in. 
You've mm-hmm. got a measurement of time. The answer is, is that right now, the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. And if you can do it this time, you can do it again. Get out of the future and mm-hmm. stay in the present moment. Culture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. Don't worry about long-term purification. Get it going right now. Mm. Because now will be the skill that you're developing that'll help that skill be there in the future for you if you can remember, so develop remembering too. Mm. (laughs) And that's why we practice. This is the whole point of practice, the whole idea of getting into seclusion so we can only deal with our own issues and clean out the mind of all of these hindrances. And the second thing that we begin to do also is begin to make friends with all the dark corners. That we become friends with ourselves. We change our um, rule systems. This is what is referred to as Silabhata Paramasa, which is the second fetter of stop expecting things from yourself. Mm. and relax and nourish yourself instead. I have so much work to do. (laughs) So ignorant to so many things. I'm so ignorant to so many things, but it's okay. No, that's the whole point. Look at what you're doing right now. You're saying, Mm -hmm. oh, poor me, I'm ignorant of all of this stuff. No, you're not. You just heard it. Wake up and say, I'm glad you told me that. Mm-hmm. Caught you again. Yeah. <laughs> that's sati. That's the wake up and look at what you're doing. That mm. you can change that right now when you catch it. Mm. And when you do, catch it joyfully. Aha, make a game out of it. This is fun. Sure. Or you can do it the misery way, up to you. Mm. (laughs) And so in a way, this is the practice that develops the metta that you can have for your own inner being, whatever that is. Because it ain't being, it's moving. So everything is a moving target. Nothing is what it used to be. So we got to keep watching. Everything's a moving target. Often these targets are colliding with each other. That's funny. Everything's a target for another target. Mm. It just keeps going. (laughs) A lot of collisions happen that way. (laughs) Sometimes they get really piled up like on a freeway. So this is the way of of practicing the Anapanasati that is based upon the Eightfold Noble Path, is based upon back Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. And Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda is often understood by Westerners the way that we get everything else, and that is delayed gratification. Mm -hmm. You go to first grade. 
You learn ABCs. Why do I have to learn the ABCs? Not because I can have a chocolate ice cream right now. It's so I can learn to read. Well, why should I learn to read? So that you can become smart. So why should I want to be smart? And on and on and on it goes with delayed gratification. And so when we approach Buddhism, we see that it's delayed gratification, just like Christianity, that's delayed gratification. You got to work like hell to avoid hell. When you die, everything is delayed gratification. So this practice is not delayed gratification. This, this practice is get your benefits right now. Dukkha, Dukkha Naroda. Hop right out of that Dukkha step one, first noble truth, into step three noble truth. Just step right over your choice. Jump that hurdle of all of the causations and land happily. You can be in a third noble truth anytime you want to. All you have to do is remember. Because we got a method. What is our method? Ah, to remember. Mm. To look at what you're doing. And to make a change. Then congratulate yourself. Mm. Can you recommend any um, books for suits or references? And then we could dig a little deeper for ourselves. Or I have been mentioning several today uh number 117 118 also let me see which ones no i left that now all right i haven't really talked so much about the hindrance it's only a little bit uh you can look also at sutra number two the first part of it, the Sabah Street. So what about actually like any books themselves? If any? I would recommend Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa. There's a lot of stuff that's translated into English. All you have to do is Google Buddha Dasa and you can find all many things. ABC of Buddhism and Handbook to Mankind would be two that I would recommend. Okay. Um, you talked a little bit about this before, um, but you've seen many people you know, we're like, oh, I'm just going to renounce. And it's just a mess. Everything from the culture to the food. Um, you know, that some people are like, oh, I'm just going to go to Thailand, India and do this thing. So um, does that do you see that happen more often um, than not, I guess? And um, I guess, could you talk a little bit about not only that, but how you kind of made up your a mind um, that you were just going to teach a Dhamma and, you know, do nothing else. I mean, what what inner insight, I guess, that you felt that I don't know. 
Well, you got a lot of questions in there. Can you put it down and get down to <laughs> one question at a time? Uh, okay, well, we'll just talk about you then, I guess. That'll be a good question we that, can go that, to. That's, that's not. I'm not. I, I notice you don't really like that at all. You don't like to talk about, ask questions particularly about you. Yeah, there's nothing to it. <laughs> I feel like there's something we can gain out of it. No, there's actually the point is, is that what value can you receive from this? And life stories don't help. Mm -hmm. What you really want to know is how can you practice correctly? And I've just told you that. And so if you do it right now, you wouldn't be asking stupid questions. Mm. <laughs> Though I must admit that I'm also still curious about many of the early things that happened in Bhikkhu Buddha Dasa's life, but I know that I wouldn't go to him to pester him about it because he'd been dead for 30 years. <laughs> Fair enough. You still there? Oh, okay, went out a little bit. I said James is good at um, dragging uh, old stories out of people. Mm. But his role is different. He's uh, an interviewer, and so I give him that. But mostly, it, there, there's nothing to talk about. Mm. So if you say. Pardon? I said, OK. <laughs> yeah, don't do what I did. Mm. OK, go find your own friggin' path. Mm. And take the Eightfold Noble Path along as a map to do it. Fair enough. That's all I needed to know. I <laughs> <laughs> actually happened with the Buddha. We still have many, many of the Westerners trying with very little success to duplicate what the Buddha did himself before he was enlightened, rather than doing what he suggested after he figured it all out. I think that we're, we're like that even with our own family, our daddies. We would rather do as my daddy does than listen to what my daddy says. Mm. This is a very good point. Yeah, monkey, monkey, see, monkey, monkey, see, monkey do. do. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and that's particularly why you don't talk about your personal, because that has nothing to do with what we're talking about right here, right now. Mm -hmm. Fair enough. Yeah. Old past stories. So what, what I can give you is joy, enthusiasm, eagerness for the Dhamma, delight in being alive, and a chuckle or two from some of my outlandish jokes. And sometimes I'll set them up for five minutes, just waiting to get around to the punchline. 
But it's all about the Dhamma, which means basically the word Dhamma can mean actually anything and everything. And when you see the Dhamma in that way of Dukkha, Dukkha, Naroda about everything, then you recognize, hey, everything's going to be all right. Everything's going to be fine. There's nothing much to do about it. Whether the world is absolutely whatever the world is, is absolutely full of shit or an absolute paradise, one way or the other, you can't do much of anything about it, but choose how you feel. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Looks like you chose the right one that time. <laughs> Yeah. Rather than the other side of it, oh, I don't know if I can do that. <laughs> so every moment we have a choice. That's why we want to wake up to and be in the present moment. Rather than locked in our old habits of the past, which are the hindrances to prevent us from being in the present moment. I mean, that's the, the drama of the Buddha is so succinct. Everything fits together so precisely. And yet the way that we see it is that it's, oh, it's a list of things. There's six of these and five of those and four of them and three of that and four more of those things and five of this. Gosh, we got a lot of fives. And we got sevens and we got eights and we got twelves and we got sixteens and we got thirty twos and we got one oh eights. I mean, what a list of stuff, right? But all of those are kind of memory anchors of the various things that are just in this one little point. You could just sit in this moment. Fair enough. Well, I appreciate this talk very much. I'll even have to go back through it. <laughs> All right. When are you going to do your retreat? Next month, so at the beginning of the month. Oh, well, you have lots of time of practice before you go. Absolutely. Yeah, you can get ready for that, Joker. Right. Yeah. yeah. All right, well, you might want to give me a call between now and the time that you go to the retreat then. Okay. So go go practice the way that I, I don't tell, I haven't told you where to sit, where to go, when to sit, or any of that kind of stuff, but I do recommend seclusion to practice these things, just remove those hindrances as soon as you catch them and to be on guard for it. Mm. That's the correct practice, and you can see that that's built right in there, but why isn't that emphasized by all of the uh, main teachers? It's a good point, and that's maybe why the reason you don't have, or that's why you stay away from that, specifically <laughs> saying that, and I, I get it. Which is probably the wise move to do, because, I did, you know, <laughs> because then someone could push the blame on you. Oh, this is, you know, 
So I, th I think you kind of been there, done that, like you say, and that's why you don't do that, <laughs> which is wise. It makes sense. I get it. All right, John. Well, we'll see you soon. Fair enough. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. <laughs>